time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Thank you so much for stopping by and spending a little bit of time here as we think about how you thrive in life. That really is the thrust of this whole process. This whole podcast is based on the idea that you and I and everybody else can thrive in life. Now, sometimes people think that thriving means that nothing's going wrong in their life, that everything is on the upswing. And so sometimes we think that, you know, when something's happening, some tough moment in our lives, it must mean that we are off track. I don't think that's the case. I just think that means that life is going on. Those tough times happen and we flex our thriving muscle by how we deal with those times. Not because those times are here does it mean that we're not thriving. It just means that we have a new challenge in front of us on how to thrive. Now, over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the engaged life. That'll be the next three episodes of this podcast. Today, I want to talk about what that engaged life is about and the three P's of having that engaged life. The reason I think that's important is because over the course of my life and over the course of my work, I've noticed my own times when I've been disengaged from life. I've been not engaged with what's going on around me, and sometimes that has led to a lot of frustration and feeling of being stuck. I've talked before about my times when my job felt like it was a dead end and I had to face a point of pivoting, of either being stuck there or just leaving it completely, or finding a new way through that. But I've had other times of disengagement in my life. In fact, I realized that right before I got sick, about 15 years ago, I was at a disengaged period. In fact, what I was doing was trying to engage in a new process. And then I got sick instead, and had to figure out what that meant. Because one of the things that illness taught me was something that I had uh, learned multiple times in my life, that the time is precious, that we only have so much time. That lesson was reinforced over and over when I was a chaplain, and it's been reinforced for me over and over as I've worked with people who have been in that same place. So let me tell you a short story about one of my clients. He was a very wealthy client who had me come to his office because he wanted to talk about some things that he felt like he needed to do to make some shifts in his life. And so I made the long drive to get there. It took a little bit of time to get there. And when I got there, there was this complex that he, he worked in. He had built this whole complex of manufacturing. And so we were sitting in his office that overlooked kind of his, his kingdom. And that kingdom was thriving. It was moving along. And I could see the trucks coming in and out. And I could see the workers all around. And we stared out of this window and I said, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. He said, yeah, let me show it to you. So we took a tour. We took a tour of the factory floor where the things were manufactured. We took a tour through uh, the office buildings and talked with some of the staff. And we got back to his office and I said, that is super amazing what you've built here. You must be very proud. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I wish I was. But that's why I called you here. I've got all of this. I've got more money than I know what to do with. He said, if I sold my business today and I get offers all the time, there's no way I could even spend the money I would get in my lifetime. And you know what? Every day as I'm driving to this office, I dread getting here. 
I dread going through the same day over and over. And I dread the fact that this is, as much as it looks like my kingdom, it's really my prison. So as we began to talk, one of the things that became very clear to me was my my client wanted to be engaged in life, but my client was very disengaged from life. He wasn't living the life he wanted to because what was missing for him was relationships, was love, was passion. And I'm not talking about passion for somebody else, but passion in his own heart. What was missing for him is a sense uh, that he was headed somewhere important, that he was creating something worthwhile for the world, that he was somehow making a difference. Now, there was no need for me to try to cheer him up and point to the number of customers that they had who raved about their product. He knew all about that, but it wasn't hitting him where it needed to. It wasn't hitting him at that deep place. As we began to talk for a few months, we began to build out some places of engagement for him that would bring him back to that place of of purpose. He told me that he once had it. When he was starting to build that company, man, he had something to do. And he said, every day I got up rearing to go and headed out the door at five o'clock. I wouldn't get back until eight or nine that night. And I was still full of energy. I had to find a way of cooling off before I went to bed because I was so excited about what was going on. And I said, when did that change? Was it when everything got successful? Because I thought, you know, maybe he was just at a new point where everything had had been about the growth of it. And now that it was at a stable point, maybe he was bored with it. And he said, oh, no, it was long before that. Long before that, it began to occur to me that there was something else that was missing. So we began to talk about what was missing in his life. What would feed his soul? What would re-engage him in the world? As we were talking, I was reflecting back on my days as a chaplain in the hospital when many of my evenings were spent with people who were at the last stages of life. In fact, for many of them, I was there for that last stage. And part of what they dealt with at the end was what had this been about? Many of them told me stories about how they were so thankful for the life that they had lived, but many told me stories of regret, that life had slipped away, that somehow they lost track of things and it had gotten away. Now, the interesting thing about that, when I was a chaplain, I was not knee-deep. I was eyeball-deep in training and schooling and trying to work to make ends meet for our little family. I was doing everything I could and still was invested in this job that required me to bring something to that each evening. And I remember how tired I was at the end of many days where I would leave wondering, had I made a difference? Was this worthwhile? Was this something that helped people? And I would get up the next day and I would go through my process. At one point, I had five offices that I had to remember to be at. And so it wasn't that there was not engagement in my life as much as I didn't always feel engaged because there was so much pulling at me. And I remember as I was sitting with people who were asking that question, has this all been worthwhile? I began to wonder, what would I think when I got to that point? Then, 15 years ago, when I suddenly thought I might be close to that point, I asked again, what do I think about this? How do I want to move forward? So part of what happens many times for many people is they become disengaged in life. We all become disengaged at times, but sometimes we get so disengaged that we can't find our way back. 
We find a way of distancing from life. And sometimes what we're doing is waiting for something to shift. We're kind of in the waiting mode, seeing what's going to come our way, thinking that something out there is going to turn it around for us. Waiting for our ship to come in, not realizing that we're the ones who have to build the ship and we're the ones who have to decide how we're going to sail that ship. So when we're waiting for our ship to come in, sometimes we miss the opportunities along the way to maybe play in the water, maybe take a canoe out, maybe do something else in the meantime. We end up in waiting mode, waiting for something that's going to finally get there and bring us something that feels better. So what are the symptoms of living a disengaged life? Well, I think that this person, my client, outlined a lot of them for us. Passionless. Just nothing exciting. Nothing's going on that brings you joy. Nothing makes you go, ooh, I want to know more about that. Just a day after an endless day, after an endless day, after an endless day, waiting for something else. And you know, passion isn't waiting for the weekend to have a party. Passion comes from somewhere deeper. So a lot of times when we're passionless, we're living that disengaged life. Another symptom is being purposeless. That there's not something deep down pulling us towards something that we feel is important. We have our purpose. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because that's another symptom. When we're purposeless, we're disengaged from life. There's no reason. There's no direction to it. Sometimes people tell me when they're at that place of disengagement, of feeling stuck and feeling stagnant. Those two words often come up. Feeling stuck, just not making progress the way you wanted to, whether it's in a relationship or a job or outside interest, just feeling stuck, stagnant, growing more and more stale by the day, waiting for something to feel like it's real and feel like it's life. And all that happens is those feelings kind of begin to build and grow. So my question for you is, let's say on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself right now? And you don't have to tell me. You can speak to uh, whatever you're listening to. You can speak to your phone or your tablet or your computer, however you're listening to this. But just just kind of think out what, what point, one to 10. And let's say that 10 is, man, every day is an adventure of engagement, that every moment of every day, you feel it, that your heart is in this, that you've got somewhere you want to get to, that you're moving forward. That's 10. One would be, yeah, every day, another day. Glad it's passed, nothing new, nothing going on. Kind of like my, my friend there, my client that had no real interest in what was going on in life. Now, what I want you to notice from that is this has nothing to do with your bank account. My client, who was scoring himself at about a two or a three on that scale, was beyond wealthy. I've also had the times when I've talked with people who would have put themselves at eight or a nine on that scale, who were living paycheck to paycheck or even looking for pay, and yet they were high on that scale. So understand that it has nothing to do with the job you hold, the position you hold, or anything else. There's something else about that. So just think through, what, where would you put yourself? Five would be the midpoint. So where would you go from 1 to 10 on your engagement? 1, completely disengaged. 10, completely engaged. If you think about being stuck, where does that fall on that spectrum? Okay, lock that number in and just ask yourself this question. What am I willing to do? 
How am I willing to go forward in order to move that up? Let's say, let's just move it up two or three points. What would it take to do that? If you're at a seven, that puts you at a 10. But if you're at a one, that puts you at a three or four. What would it take for you to get more energy into your life? And then let's talk about, for a moment, those three Ps in just a minute. But first, I want you just to have this image in your mind of whether you're this. It's been cold. It's been winter. It's been dark. It's been dreary. And I remember driving down the road one day and looking out the window and seeing this guy who was looking like he was pulling the weight of the world behind him. He was ducked down against the cold, his hat pulled down, his coat pulled up as far as he could around his cheeks, and he was basically trying to shut out the world. Now, obviously, that world out there was pretty cold, but I want you to have that image in mind, just completely drudging through, looking down, pulled up, and that will tell you some about that score. And then I want you to think of another person who might be at another point where they are basically reveling in the sunlight, going, look at me, world, I'm here. I'm ready to move forward. So that's more of that 10 scale from one to 10 as you think about that. Now let's talk about these three Ps of an engaged life. I want you to have these three points for places where you can begin to move towards. These three Ps are points or places to move towards in trying to build that in. So the first one is one of the things that my client talked about, passion. He had no passion for what was going on. He said, to be honest, you know, there's no passion in my heart for what we're building there because I don't feel like it's making enough of a difference in making the world a better place. People love our product. But he said, I don't have a passion for that. Now understand, somebody else might have had a passion for that product and seen how it worked in his life. Some years ago, I was working with a real estate agent, and he said, you know, I just it, it's just a business deal. It's gotten to the point where it's just a business deal. And he said, and what I've realized is because I have no passion for this, I take shortcuts. I try to get people in the house as quick as possible, and I try to sell their house as quick as possible, which means sometimes I kind of lowball the estimate on that house because I just want to move on through this. And sometimes I show people houses that are a little bit above them, but I know they're going to love it so much that I can move them in that direction because now I can sell it to them and I can take home a bigger check. And he said, in the end, I'm not feeling really good about what I'm doing. I don't feel like I am doing anything other than trying to get people in and out of houses as quick as possible. So what do I do about that? As we began to talk, I reflected with him about where this all started. And he told me stories from his early days as a realtor. When he was finding people their dream home or finding people a place to start their their home, to start their family. And he said he remembered how he always took in all of the details he could, tried to listen to the things they weren't even saying to find that perfect fit. And when somebody was there for him to sell the house, he realized that he had their most prized possession there and he wanted to guard it with his life just like they would. And I said, what happened along the way? And he said, I got to be competitive about the numbers. All that began to matter was where I was in my company. And that's not a place of passion. Competition wasn't his place of passion. It was his place of letting go of what was important to him. So his place of passion was very simple. He began to be very passionate 
about having people be in their best place. He realized that people needed to be able to leave their house and feel like it was about to be somebody else's home. And he began to take that very seriously in the process. And he began to be very serious about finding the perfect home for that family. And that began to reignite a passion for him that he was doing something important for those families. Everybody needs a place to live. And for him, it was finding that best place. I've had other people who've had passion not in their job, but somewhere else in life. They had some hobby that drove their passion. Sometimes it would be around competition. You know, they, they wanted to have their best score. And so it began to excite them to be watching themselves improve in their running or cycling or whatever it was. I've seen people in their passions. And I, I tend to be that kind of a person that when there is something of interest to me, it becomes my passion. And so in my history, I have a wake of things I've been very passionate about. Some of them I haven't kept up, but a lot of them I carry on a passion. I started a passion of martial arts when I was a teenager and took Taekwondo. But then life got in the way, college got in the way, and then grad school got in the way, and then family got in the way. And then I came back to that with jujitsu. And now that's something of a passion of mine that I really enjoy that piece. That has nothing to do with my job, which also brings me great passion. Years ago... I was in a room of people who were trying to figure out how to get a book written. We were in Las Vegas, of all cities. And I was in this room of people who were all on fire with some message. They were passionate about that message, and they wanted to get it out. They weren't sure who would read it, and they they frankly didn't care who read it because they wanted so desperately to get the message out. The passion for that message was so important that they wanted to get it out. So while I was staying there in that hotel, and if you know Las Vegas, everything goes through the casino. So we were not on the strip. We were out at a resort further out. And every single time I had to walk from my room to get something to eat or to go to the meetings, I had to pass through this casino. If you've been in a casino, you know that you know, they don't like you to think about the time. So you'd walk in and the lighting would be kind of odd and there's no, uh, no clocks on the wall and no windows and no reference point to time. It's as if time stands still. As I walked through, I was bombarded with these pictures of people who were having the time of their life gambling. And then I would walk through that casino and see very little of time of their life. I watched people who often had a cigarette and a drink in one hand, and they were pulling the lever in the other hand, and there was no expression on their face. So as I passed through one time, I walked up to somebody I just met at the conference, and I said, hey, do you believe in zombies? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I just wonder if you believe in zombies. He said, no, of course not. Do you? And I said, yeah, I just walked through a room full of them. They had lost their passion, at least in that room. Now, if I had talked to them, they might have said they were passionate about their gambling, but From my estimation of watching them, there was no passion in that room. There was something of an addiction in the room. And that's one of the things that we often resort to when we can't find something we're passionate about. We resort to something that we become addicted to. So sometimes addictions are our ways of numbing out and avoiding the fact that that passion's not there. We're trying to fill a hole that's passion size, but we're trying to fill it with other things that don't quite fit that. So one of the big things that stokes us, that gets our fire in the belly, that's our passion, something that that we can all find. Now, I believe that we are all designed to have that passion, to find those things over which we're passionate. 
When we don't find it, we do other things. We try to fill it with other things, but part of that is just trying to fill it with things that don't quite fit. And so one of our tasks in life is to always be looking for where am I passionate at this point? Where am I passionate? Maybe it's about job. Maybe it's vocational or avocational. Maybe it's hobby. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some place that you want to see a difference. Maybe it's a cause that you're interested in. But the important thing is to be clear about finding your passion in life because that ties into the second place of purpose. That's the second P, purpose. What purpose do you feel you're serving? How are you making a difference in the world? That moves us into that. Now, let me be clear. The world doesn't have to say, here's how you're making a difference. It has to be the place internally that you say, this is where I find my purpose. Many times our passion and our purpose are connected, but sometimes they're separate. I've talked with people who had a clear sense of purpose that didn't necessarily fire their belly, but they knew it was important work. Sometimes people take on things that are of purpose that are so tough that they can't find another way through it. They have to find a way to find other places of passion because what they do is important. It gives them a sense of purpose. It just doesn't ignite their their passion. So there can be a difference between the two. But many times our purpose somehow reflects our passion. Now, let me tell you where it's a little bit different. For instance, I talked about the fact that I have this passion for jujitsu. That's not my purpose in life. That does bring me joy to go, and, and I'll talk about that in another episode, but it brings me joy. It doesn't fulfill my purpose. My purpose is trying to make the world a better place, of helping people to thrive, of helping people have great relationships, of them finding their purpose, their deepest meaning in finding that place. So, Not every passion is going to fit into your purpose, but your purpose acknowledges the fact that there are places where you can take action on your way to meaning. That's the way I understand purpose. It's actions on the way to meaning. Meaning is what we draw from that activity. It serves usually a greater mission, a larger mission. The ancient Greeks used to talk about two different types of happiness, and, and those two different types of happiness came from two different places within them. One of them was, you know, you, you did something and, and you really enjoyed it, right? I mean, it was, it was like tasty food and things like that. That was a little bit different than another level of happiness. You see, there was another way of feeling good. That was uh, having something that's... Uh, Hedonic, hedemonia would have been the term for that. And hedemonia was like something that you experienced. You had a great meal or a good wine or had a great time doing something. You know, when you go out dancing, um, that's a hedonic joy or having a great meal somewhere that's hedonic. Here's the, the thing. Eudaimonic joy, eudaimonic happiness comes from reaching out for the greater good. And what often happens in our culture is we act hedonically to feel good, to find happiness hedonically. We're trying to find that thing out there that's going to make us happy, something that we bring into ourselves. But the Greeks knew that it's what we put out of ourselves, not what we bring in, but what we push out away from ourselves towards a greater, a greater purpose, a greater need is what really feeds our deeper sense of, of purpose. So the hedonic method, there's nothing wrong with having a good meal and there's nothing wrong with going dance and have a good time, 
But it usually is a very short-lived happiness. Eudaimonic happiness comes from a deeper place. It's often about our purpose in life because our purpose is about reaching beyond our own place right now to something that's bigger than us. And then the third P is presence, your own presence. Are you showing up in the world? Now, that doesn't mean you're just there. You know, you can show up to work or you can show up to work. You can show up to a date or you can show up to a date. Really bring yourself to it. Bring your full self to that. That's presence. Am I truly present in what I'm doing? There are several pieces to that. And we often get trapped by these pieces. One of those pieces is whether we're mindful of where we are at that moment. We humans can live in three different points of time, the past, the future, or the present moment. Mindfulness is about finding that present moment. When we're living in the past, when we're thinking about the things we woulda, coulda, shoulda done back there, or we're thinking about the future, about what we need to do, should do, all those pieces pull us away from being in this present moment. We see it many times with people in life. They stumble through life not ever really being present in the moment, always a little bit outside of that time frame. And so presence is about the present moment. It's about the present moment of being engaged in that moment. Have you ever sat back for a while at a restaurant recently or maybe a coffee shop and you look around and you realize that everybody is not in the coffee shop or in the restaurant. They're somewhere else on the internet, right? They're on Facebook or they're somewhere else that pulls them away from being in that moment. We live in a world that is distracted by that technology and it's very hard to show up when we're not even at that place where we need to be, where we are at that moment. And so part of our our important piece of this process, of this presence, is being present with where we are. But it's more than that, because sometimes one of the things that gets in our way is we have resentments and anger and frustrations towards people. And so when we're in their presence, we're not present. But if we can work on building a sense of empathy that all of us are going through this life, taking on struggles, doing the best we can, given where we are, that's one of my core beliefs, that people do the best they can, given where they are, then we can begin to build empathy. When somebody else is somewhere different or has hurt us, we can work on forgiving and and releasing that, letting go of that, and letting that go away. Presence also means that you have a true sense of yourself. If you have a strong sense of passion and purpose, that lends itself to a stronger sense of self. Have you known those people who have that passion that burns in them? You can see them and you know that they are on fire about something. Not only that, but they are doing things. They're making differences in the world around them. Now, let me be very clear. This is not about running around the world, trying to change it 24 hours a day. It is about working where you are, making a difference, moving it towards something else. Part of that presence, though, is also something that we don't often talk about in our culture, and that's being vulnerable, to let people know who you are, to let people know what's important to you, to let people know the real you, the true you. If you've ever had a friend that just was completely closed off, wouldn't express their emotions, you know that there's a lack of presence to that. And then you have friends who are much more appropriate about sharing their emotions and and being there, being present. 
That doesn't mean they have to tell everybody what's going on in their life and tell everybody when they have an ache or a pain, but they are truly vulnerable with letting people know who they truly are, what they truly stand for, what's important to them. These three P's are the parts of an engaged life. Passion, purpose, presence. Now, as you begin to think about your your rating of yourself, where you fall on that, you can begin to think, how can I step into more of passion in my life? How can I find a deeper sense of purpose in my life? How can I bring a deeper sense of presence when I'm somewhere? And as you do that, you'll watch that number grow. Next time, we're going to talk about how you amplify that engagement, how you live more of an amped up, engaged life. So stay tuned for that as you continue to work on finding your passion, your purpose, and your presence. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.